Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture passage today is Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who, he who swears is as, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. At this point, Billy's going to come up, and we're going to pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we once again just thank you so much for a chance to be together in this space, Lord, to hear from you. I pray for Billy now that he would speak with boldness and clarity, um, that he would just feel your presence with him as he delivers the word to us. And Lord, I pray for all of us that are here today that we would just open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you in a fresh way. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So here's a confession about me. Um, and it's that Hannah has to remind me of things constantly, um, like like all the time. It's bad. Um, we'll, we'll sit down at the start of the week, and, uh, you know, this is kind of where we're at now. This is, like, how bad my memory is. I have, like, a, a physical planner now instead of just the digital dings. And, I, and we'll sit down. We'll both have planners open. We'll go through our week. You know, th- we're doing this on Tuesday. Don't forget you have this meeting. Also, like, hey, we're going to – let's make sure we carve out time. We're going to go bowling, all that kind of stuff, right? And you best believe the next morning I'm like, what are we doing tonight? What's happening again? 
She's even started using Google Calendar. No one's laughing. That's terrifying. You guys, either one of two things is happening. Either you're like, yeah, that's just like, that's me too. Or, you know, you're like, yeah, Billy, we know. <laughs> um, she sends me invites, right? I'll get like an email that's like, Hannah has invited you to this event. And I'm like, what? Who am I? That like my own wife has to do this to me. Like, what is wrong with me? But here's the deal. I know that I'm not alone. I know that many of us are forgetful. And in fact, I know that because I'll be talking to some of you and your wife will nudge you and be like, don't you remember? And it's, this is the way we are. We forget. We are a forgetful people. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes knew this would be the case, knew that we would be those who would need to be reminded over and over again and again. In fact, the reformer Martin Luther once kind of quipped that we are those who forget the gospel so frequently that the role of the pastor is to preach the gospel again and again and again so that he can beat it into our thick skulls because we forget it. Again, she often has to tell me four to five times what's going on before I get it in my thick head. And we're no different when the Bible tells us what life is really all about. And so church, we come now to a turning point in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been walking through this kind of thick mud, as it were, of everything that the preacher has been pointing us to, to see life and death and what truly matters. And the preacher is now starting his lengthy conclusion. It's like me when I say, and we're coming to a close, and I go on for another 15 or 20 minutes. That's what's happening here, is the preacher goes on from chapter 9 all the way through chapter 12 to bring us to a close. And the ninth chapter throws down this gauntlet that challenges again the superficial and the comfortable. Again, the preacher has been trying to get us to see past all of the distractions that we normally have in our life. He's trying to get us to look at the broken world. And he's trying to help us see this. Whether you're the kind, sweet grandma or you're the wicked, murderous crook, you both face the same fate, death. And he wants us to see this, that life is this wild, unpredictable, sometimes infuriating gift. It's not just a series of random events. Yes, death, injustice, the wicked prospering while the righteous suffer, the inexplicable turns of life that keep us up all night. It's all here in Ecclesiastes 9. And right smack in the middle of this chaos, he drops this bomb in verse 7. He says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Now, don't get it twisted, right? This is not some kind of YOLO hedonistic lifestyle that the preacher is calling us to. This is Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. The preacher, he's grabbing us by the collar. He's shaking us awake to the real purpose of his message. Here's our big idea this morning and it's gonna sound real familiar. It's this, life is gift, not gain. Now, if you've been with us as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, you might be going, hey, wait a minute. We've said that before, right? That was already, you can't do the main point of the sermon twice. Yes, I can, because he does. Again, he's reminding us that life, friends, is gift, not gain. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, how can we parse this out, right? How can we go through this? Well, the preacher, he's not pulling any punches. He's not trying to coddle us. He's here to shatter our illusion of control, our attempts to play God, our futile grasps at eternity. Really, the preacher's saying, hey, you're out here trying to build Babel again. You're stacking your bricks of achievement, your status, your knowledge, your memories, thinking that you can reach heaven on your own terms. But what if your life gets cut short? 
What if tomorrow never comes? If you knew you were checking out of this world by sunset, what would change for you today? That's really the punchline of Ecclesiastes, that the life that you have is a gift from God. We've seen this word over and over again and again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think it bears reminding, and that word is vanity or meaningless. It's a word in Hebrew that is hevel, and it means a vapor. Here now, gone tomorrow. It's like when we blow the candle out after dinner. We light a candle at dinner, and we blow, my son loves to blow it out. I think all kids do. It's an eight. Maybe it's birthdays. And they blow it out, and then you watch the smoke wisp. It's there. It's physical. You can see it, but you can't hold it. That is what the preacher says our lives are. God is the one who's calling the shots. And at any moment, he can call time on your life. And in this chapter, the preacher is relentless. It's like he has three hammers in his hand. He starts with, bam, the certainty of death. And then he hits again, looking at the unpredictability of life, how random and chaotic it is. And then right in the middle, he's got this wisdom for us, that we should enjoy the simple blessings. He's demolishing our facades. He's showing us that the only thing that is actually certain in our life is death. We know that. I mean, we've all heard the statement, death and taxes, right? Sorry to bring up taxes. I know we're all hurting, right? I get it. It's heavy. And the only response that the preacher has for us is to live wisely. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start with the hard truths. We're going to go and look at the beginning and the end before we jump to the middle. So let's dive deep. Let's allow the preacher to speak into our lives, to deconstruct our false securities and lead us into the raw, untamed, and beautiful reality of living under God's sovereign hand. So let's do this. Let's go. First, let's see the certainty of death. You guys love this. Every Sunday, we just were so chipper through the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's talk about the certainty of death, shall we? Verse 1, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate. Man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also, the heart of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Is that your life first? It's a good one, right? The preacher, again, he's saying, hey, you're not getting away from this. Because, again, we're forgetful. <laughs> we, we hear these sermons, we read this book, and then we walk out the door and we're like, I'm going to live forever, right? And we're not. The stark reality of death, it, it strips away our illusion, revealing the ultimate equalizer that awaits us all. There was a young man who visited his sister, and she kept inviting him to church. And so finally, begrudgingly, he goes to church with her. The pastor is preaching and he says, all of you who are part of this church will die. 
And the brother under his breath muttered, good thing I'm not a part of this church. And his sister looked over at him and said, last time I checked, I think the death rate is 100%. Listen, the preacher's message is not meant to dismay us, but to wake us up to the profound truth, friends, that death, it's indiscriminate, right? It doesn't care who you are or what you've done. It sweeps away every human being without distinction. This unsettling truth is not meant to leave you in despair. Instead, it's a call to recognize that all the things that we chase after, our achievements, the emotions that we feel, that big anger that you have because that guy cut you off, your earthly pursuits of more, this gain, that gain, this thing, that thing, it's all temporary. And the preacher's words serve as a stark reminder that you are not the master of your fate. You're not. Any attempt to control, to understand, to secure our legacy, it's ultimately futile in the face of death. And this is where the gospel enters in and transforms our perspective. Because Christ steps into this reality of death and uncertainty and offers us a lifeline, a way that we can navigate life with purpose, life with hope. In Jesus, we find the strength to live fully, to embrace each moment with the knowledge that our lives are where? In God's hand, in God's hand. Now the preacher says this line about a dead lion and a living dog. And I remember we were reading this as a staff and I was like, what's what's going on there? He's saying this, what good is it if you're ferocious, if you're mighty, if you're powerful, but you're dead. Not very much, right? Again, in this context, dogs were seen as the lowest of the low. If you're the lowest of the low and you're alive, then you still have a chance. This recognition of our mortality, the, the call to see the fleeting nature of life. Again, it's not a call to despair. It's an invitation to live with open hands. See, would, would we instead love Jesus more fiercely than life itself, would we be prepared for the moment that he calls us home? Understanding the certainty of death, it equips us to face it head on, to live with eternity etched in our hearts as we anticipate the promise of the gospel fulfilled in the life to come. And here's a sobering truth. We are a generation that does not know how to die well. What do you mean? Well, we deny it with all that we are. I mean, you will be sitting with people who have heard the grimmest, darkest, heaviest news and they'll still go, nah, I think it'll be all right. I think it'll be okay. I've met people who've had insane bypass surgery who are eating bacon, okay? Like we think that life is just, it's gonna be fine. I'm gonna be okay, Now listen, to die well doesn't mean that we don't feel the sting of grief. Okay, again, lament is biblical. Sorrow is biblical. Most of the, there's so many Psalms. There's a whole book called Lamentations about grief. Grief is not wrong. It's about understanding that death is the full stop to our delusion of grandeur. See, to die well is to see every coffin not as a tragedy, but a sermon. Preaching the brokenness of our existing our existence, reminding us that we're not promised 80 years. To die well is to be amazed at God's patience and to marvel at why he has been so patient with us and not called time on us yet. It's to live with open hands, to love Jesus more than anything. 
Facing death head on now means that it won't crush you when it finally comes. Preparing for death, it doesn't mean that you're all doom and gloom. It doesn't mean that you're just walking around going, man, it's another day before the hammer falls. That's not the point. It's about choosing how to live in the now with eternity in our hearts. Now, before we dive into, into that, into how we live in this wild, beautiful, tragic, temporary world, we have to grapple now with all that is uncertain because the preacher is not done shaking us yet. So let's jump down to verse 11 and see second, the unpredictability of life. Verse 11, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is where we confront this kind of wild, unpredictable nature of existence, right? We tend to live as if the one thing that is certain, our death, will never come, while the many things that are are uncertain, we live as though they're certain. It's usually the case that the quickest person wins the race, that the strongest person wins the fight, the clever person manages their money well, that the smartest people get the highest paying job, and those with an education tend to catch the breaks, but that is not the absolute rule. Why? Because again, time and chance unfold for everyone. My brother and I, we've been talking, he's been looking into buying a house, um, which is like living in constant sorrow, right? Right now, everything is insanely expensive. The interest rate just does this. And he's talking to me about this. He's like, what do I do? Like, do I just like go broke forever and just have a house but eat ramen? I'm like, I guess. I don't know what to tell you, man. And it made me flash back to 2020. My wife and I are in the process of buying our house and we got so angry and so flustered because we decided to buy from the the guy who owned our home. We were renting at the time and we went and we said, hey, how about this much? He gave us a number and we said, okay, well, let's counter with a lower number, you know, since we've rented for a number of years. And he goes, hmm, what about a higher number than I originally gave you? How are you guys like that? Um, we didn't. So we went back and forth, back and forth. In the process, as we're going through all this, I'm so frustrated. I'm so dismayed. We finally get to this certain point where we think, okay, we've, we've accepted everything. We're good to go. And he goes, oh, I don't want to work with your realtor. I don't want to use realtors at all. We're like, oh, okay. Listen, guy, like, give us a break, please. And I remember sitting down with Hannah this week going, hey, do you realize that like we bought our house at like the most insane interest rate that's ever been? In fact, we talk to people now who advise us never sell that house. Like even if you move, never sell it. It's, it's insane that you got the house for the price that you got it for. You are so lucky. We live that way, don't we? Where we just don't even realize what God is doing in the midst of our lives. And time and chance happen to all of us. Life It involves these unexpected turns, these sudden shifts in circumstances, events that take us completely by surprise. And this is why Vegas makes a killing. Because you think you can play the future like a slot machine. Guess again, the house always wins. See, life is a wild ride, full of twists and turns that no one can predict. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes gets this. See, life is like a game of chance where the odds are stacked and the outcomes are anything but certain. Our lives are a picture of unpredictability. 
Preacher says it's like fish swimming freely when suddenly they're caught. We dream big, we plan our lives meticulously, but often find that life just won't line up to our script. That job, it might fall through. That dream house might just remain a picture on your Pinterest board. The preacher, he lays it out plainly. He says, for man does not know his time. Friends, our days are not ours to command. It's like James in the New Testament is kind of this twin brother of Ecclesiastes. And I was joking with a community group this week. I said, you know, it's, I don't know why we decided to do James and then, you know, take a short break and then jump right into Ecclesiastes. But here we are. This is what James says in James chapter 4. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. While you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, you're like morning fog. It's that same word, hevel, mist, vapor. Here now, gone in a heartbeat. Instead, you should say, if God wills, we'll live to do this or that. The preacher's trying to say, hey, Here's the reality. You will die and life is chaos. Stop living as though it's not. Stop living as though you have control and that you could plan all the days of your life. He doesn't offer us empty platitudes. Instead, what he urges us to do is to live fully, embrace the moments we do have. In the gospel, this takes on deeper dimensions because every day is an opportunity to live for Christ, to see moments as a chance to reflect his love and grace. In the fleeting and uncertain nature of life, we we find this call to trust God more deeply, right? Because while we don't know what is coming, he does. While we don't know what's next, he does. And he doesn't fail. Knowing our ultimate security is found in Christ, our response to life's unpredictability is to live each day with an eternal perspective, to hold on to the unchanging truth of the gospel. Now, We stand at this crossroad, aware of our mortality and the fickleness of our fortunes. And the call comes to shift our focus, to tilt our gaze towards the here and now. And so this is what I want to spend just kind of the last bulk of our time together talking about. And that is what it means to savor the simple blessings. Third, enjoy the simple blessings. Look at verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, that is the grave, to which you are going. The preacher invites us to step into this moment with intention. Go, he says. It's an invitation, friends, not to just taste your food, but to savor life as God has given it to you. It's a gift, friend. It is as if God is nudging us toward a way of being that is rich with intention, that's saturated with joy. He's signed off on our pursuit of happiness, not as a trivial chase, but as a sacred endeavor. Again, this is the call, gift, not gain. 
let me make it as clear as I can. John 10, 10. Jesus speaking about why he came. This is what he said. He said, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is a tragedy, friends, that Christians are known as drab and boring. It is a tragedy that this thing that we do or we gather together on Sunday is, man, it's just this kind of boring thing that you kind of have to do so God's not mad at you. Jesus didn't come to give us a half full cup. He didn't come to just give us, you know, this sort of kind of neat life or occasionally we see neat things, but mostly it's just this monotonous, boring, humdrum thing. No, he came to give us abundant life. We should be, and I'm not kidding, the happiest, most joy-filled, wonderful people on the planet. We should be the kind of people that people want to be around, that they delight to be with. We should celebrate. We should sing because our God is a singing God because he's given us life and life abundantly. Let me say this. You may have never heard this in your life. You may have always thought that God is just this kind of begrudging, mean sky God that just wants nothing to do with you except for you to be obedient. Here's the reality. God delights in your joy. God delights in your joy. We were looking at pictures this last week of Sammy growing up, which, man, that's a quick way to get weepy, right? When you look at pictures of your kids growing. And we saw these pictures of the first Christmas, and my wife gives me a lot of grief because I have this problem where I like to buy a lot of Christmas presents. Now, he's one, right, at this time. He's not even one, right? He was almost one. And here he is opening up gifts, and, like, I remember, like, there's a picture of me, like, pointing at the gift, and he's holding wrapping paper right? I love that. It's just like, I spent all this time and energy and money and my kid doesn't give, he doesn't give a rip. He doesn't care at all. But I was so happy to see his joy. It's infectious. I have this problem. We're like, we'll go to a store and Sammy's like, dad, can I have that? And Hannah looks at me and she's like, no, he can't. I'm like, yeah, buddy, you can. You got it, bud. Do you know why? Because it fills my heart with so much joy. When I see him, bust open a gift and laugh and run around the house and play with it, it fills my heart with joy. Again, we've been given abundant life. Our lives should be infused with meaning, with purpose. But too often, we're so scattered, we're so busy. Verse nine hit me particularly heavy. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Preacher says, enjoy life with your spouse. Are you enjoying your spouse? Are you enjoying your marriage? Listen to this quote from David Gibson. He says, if you're married, don't downplay this. We are not told live with your wife or put up with your wife, but rather enjoy life with your wife. If you are too busy to enjoy the life you have together, then you are too busy. End of story. This is meant to wake you up, friends. If you are too busy to enjoy your children, if you're too busy to enjoy your spouse, if you're too busy to enjoy life, you're too busy. The clock doesn't stop ticking. And one day we will meet our end. And the preacher says, you can live with joy and abundance or you can burn yourself out building a legacy that won't last. Because you will die and you will be forgotten. 
and the work that you spent time pouring yourself over will become outdated and unknown. Really, it's that simple. Some of us are just too busy. And God says, eating, dressing, loving, these are not the totality of God's gifts, but symbols, signposts to a life lived fully awake. God didn't set us in a world of mere concepts or disembodied truths. He put us in a tangible, touchable, tasteable reality, a place where the spiritual and the physical, they're intertwined. So what if we were to follow in the preacher's footsteps? What would life look like? Well, our list might transform to look something like this. Ride a bike. See the Grand Canyon. Go to the theater. Learn to make music. Visit the sick. Care for the dying. Cook a meal, feed the hungry, watch a film, read a book, laugh with some friends until it makes you cry. Play football, play catch with your children, run a marathon, snorkel in the ocean, listen to music that stirs your soul, call your parents, write a letter, play with your kids, spend your money, learn a language, plan a church, Start a school, speak about Christ, travel to somewhere you've never been, adopt a child, give away your fortune and then some, shape someone else's life by laying down your own. Make much of Jesus. My hope is that you could add to that list. See, sin may have introduced static into our story, but the melody of creation still hums beneath it. The preacher says, engage fully with whatever you do, heart and soul. The clock may be ticking, but our call to live, to create, to love, to be fully present in the ache and the wonder of now is loud and clear. We're called to embrace the profound and the mundane with equal reverence because God has made both. Knowing that we're not promised forever, but we are given today to live fully, to love deeply, to be truly present in each fleeting, precious moment. That, friends, is where beauty is found. That is where life is lived. It's almost like you can imagine a grandpa pulling up a chair, leaning in, his voice seasoned with years, whispering wisdom, saying, kid, listen. If I only grasp back in my young days the knowledge I hold now, that life's too quick for the hustle, it's too rich to miss a moment. I, I, I'd savor every laugh of my children, every whispered secret from my little girl. They were just toddlers toddling, and in a blink of an eye, they spread their wings and soared. I'd hang on to every word from a friend more than just spilling out all my own thoughts. See, friends, that's the seasoned voice of a life lived, and it echoes the voice of Jesus into our bones navigating the tangible joys of life while holding fast to Jesus. It might seem like threading a needle with a frayed string, but here's the secret. They're not on opposing ends. No, they dance together in this beautiful rhythm, in this grand design. We savor life's delights without turning them into idols. Because here's what happens. Misplaced joy or misplaced worship, it turns our joy sour. Idolizing sex turns love into chains. Making a God of your family sets you up for failure. Every good thing becomes a bitter pill when it's worship instead of appreciated. C.S. Lewis wisely noted that unchecked affection morphs into a twisted form of hate. But friends, when we lift our gaze to the creator, 
to love him, to trust him, to walk beside him. Here's what we find. Not a distant deity eager to strike us down when we misstep. No, he's more like the host of the biggest, grandest party you've ever seen, beckoning us to come and taste the feast of his kingdom. These gifts, friends, these these simple good things, they're not just trinkets, they're signposts. Signposts that make us ache for a homeland we've not yet seen, but somehow in the core of our being, we know. God uses life's fleetingness, the fact that it's temporary, it's, it's, it's chasing away. He does it to pry our fingers from the illusion of earthly permanence and control. It's the goodness of his gifts that make our hearts long for more, that make our hearts long for home. This section of Ecclesiastes, it overflows with wedding symbolism, with white garments, feasting and celebration, painting a portrait of earthly pleasures as a glimpse of the eternal joy that we all await. See, here's the thing. We cannot fully grasp what eternity holds, but one thing is evident. Our present moments of communion, they're just appetizers before the main course in the world to come. See, we're all waiting for that great wedding feast when Jesus will redeem his bride. Scripture, friends, tells the story of God's people. God's people rescued from themselves again and again and running to failure after failure after failure. And then God enters into human history. We're told that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. In the quiet corners of history, heaven's greatest act of love unfolded. Jesus, the embodiment of God's compassion, stepped into the abyss of our failure. He took upon himself the shadows of our sins. He bared the unfathomable weight of our wrongs upon the cross. And in his selfless surrender, he died, the innocent for the guilty, erasing our spiritual debt, restoring the broken bridge between humanity and the Lord. But the cross is not the end. In the wake of his sacrifice, the grave's victory It was short-lived because Jesus conquered death and he rises to proclaim our hope. This resurrection, it's the down payment on a divine promise. It's the assurance of an eternal reunion that is coming, a celestial wedding feast where we, the church, will be united with God as his cherished people. And now We hold this hope, this condensed, distilled joy that heralds the coming day, the ultimate banquet where Jesus, our Passover lamb, the triumphant king, will come and make all things new. The path has been set. The table is prepared. It is finished. And yet, an everlasting beginning awaits us. Think about how Jesus lived, how he navigated his journey. He didn't shun the pleasure of a shared meal. No, Jesus broke bread as a preview of that ultimate banquet. One commentator put it this way, and you can go check me on this, and I encourage you to always check me. Jesus eats his way through the gospel. He is always feasting. He always has time for interruptions. 
He always has time. When everyone's crowding around him saying, Jesus, you know, we've got this for you. Will you heal this person? Will you do this thing? He stops, looks up, sees the sinner and says, come down for I'm coming to your house today and we're gonna party. The mistake is to think that heaven strips us of our earthly selves and, and we leave behind the cumbersome of the physical. No, on the contrary, friends, heaven restores, renews and perfects our physical existence. We're destined not for a disembodied spiritual realm. It's not precious moments. We're not naked baby angels. No, we're coming for a renewed creation where all of, all of our sensations that are physical, they sing with deeper meaning. See, in a world that's often drowning in despair, some people grab at food and drink and pleasures like rafts. But for those of us who are captivated by the story of Jesus, all of these acts are just rehearsal for life eternal. These earthly, these earthly gifts, they have the scent, the aroma of heaven, the flavor of home, the home that we were made for. So how do we apply this, right? This all feels really esoteric, Billy. This is great. Jesus is coming back. He's redeeming us. What do we do? How do we take this into the fabric of our daily lives? Well, it starts, friends, with being intentional. Let me say this. Begin with a small ritual of food, of a meal. Instead of just wolfing down your food while your eyes are glued to a YouTube video, stop, taste, savor. Have you ever thought about the fact that like we could just eat gruel with all the nutrients we need, but yet God is so kind that he gave us food that tastes good? He's so kind that he lowered the sheet and now at our men's camp out, we can eat an unnecessary amount of bacon? God is so good. Taste, savor, let the act of eating be a sacred space where you remind yourself that this is just a shadow of what's coming. Do you see God is so good that he's sown into our existence a sermon that every time we eat, we're reminded that we need something from outside of us to come inside of us to give us life. It's not about the food. It's about presence, communion, a shared table. What are we doing? We are practicing for that eternal feast. Now think about your daily routines. Think about the habits that shape your life. Let me just say this, slow down. Can you see God in the ordinary? That morning cup of coffee, that laughter with a friend, the comforting rhythm of your breath as you walk, that extra snuggle from your child, all of it is a whisper from the eternal one a reminder that you're just traveling through and that there's more to this story than what you see. And as for the gifts and pleasures of this world, hold them loosely. Enjoy them, yes, but never grip so tightly that your hands cannot open to receive what God has for you. Remember, the joy found in the gift is real, but it's fleeting. The giver, friends, is where true lasting joy is found. Next, engage in community. Engage in community. In this isolated digital age, we need real face-to-face -face relationships more than ever. And for some of you, I'm an extrovert, confession, many of you know that already, who are introverts, it means you're going to have to face your fear of talking to someone. You're gonna have to not sit there and go, well, I hope someone comes and talks to me. No, go engage. Share meals, share stories, share life because community is where we get a taste of the kingdom, where we learn to love and be loved. It's where heaven touches earth. Jesus said where two or three are gathered, there I am.
And finally, when sorrow and pain touch your life, as they inevitably will, let them not only be a signal of what's broken, but also a signpost for the hope that you have. You see, in Jesus, we have a promise that pain is not the end of the story. There is a day coming where every tear will be wiped away. Let that promise fuel a radical, resilient joy that persists even in the darkest of times. So this week, as you step into the rhythm of your life, look for the signposts of heaven. Let the transient beauty of this world stir in you a deep homesickness for a home that you've not yet seen. And may that longing, friend, shape how you live, how you love, and linger in the good gifts of God with one eye always on the horizon of eternity. In the C.S. Lewis books, The Chronicles of Narnia, we get to the last battle. The children and the animals, they are moving from the old Narnia to the new Narnia, where they discover that every rock, every flower, every blade of grass looked as if it meant more. Listen to this line. So good. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. If you don't know Jesus, the gifts, the meal, is all that you have, and it can't satisfy. But if you are in Christ, it doesn't have to satisfy because it's only a foretaste of what is to come. Four questions for us as we come to a close. First, in what ways can I make peace with the inevitability of death and allow that peace to transform my daily actions and decisions. Second, can I recall a moment when life took an unexpected turn? and How did I respond to it? Third, what simple blessings in my life am I possibly taking for granted? And how can I cultivate a deeper appreciation for them? And then finally, in what ways can I share the joy of my blessings with others, making much of Jesus? We'll put all four on the screen for you. Let's pray together. Holy God, you are so good that you take our lives and infuse them with meaning, depth, and purpose. Lord, the preacher has been trying to wake us up to say, hold on loosely. Enjoy today. Life is not something that we gain. It's heffle, it's mist, it's vapor. It's a gift. Lord, would we linger over a good meal? 
Would we linger over laughter with friends? Would we revel in the joy of our child, belly laughing? Would we see, Lord, that you are a good father who delights to give us good gifts? And that all of this is a rehearsal for the day that is to come. I pray for those in this room who do not know you. Lord, would you awaken their heart? Would you call them to an abundant life in you? That they would not chase after things that can't satisfy, but they would see that those things are meant to stir our hearts for something greater. Would we cling to you always? We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.